Faith isn't necessarily just following rules to a point of saying, now I'm good with God, but rather it's a revelation. It's this idea, it's like your mind has been opened to the fact that God has something so much better for each of you in your lives. God, in a way, you could say it like this. God doesn't just ask us for obedience. God gives reasons for obedience. Does that make sense? God doesn't just say, do this, do that. But God reveals himself in such a way that you say, oh my goodness, why wouldn't I do this? And why wouldn't I do that, given what God has shown me? I remember a story that a pastor actually told me. Um, It was about a family in their church. And it was about um, how the mom and dad were actually struggling with their daughter who was a teenager. They were struggling because they were noticing that she was falling away from the Lord. About your guys' age, she was someone who had grown up following the Lord and just, just started noticing that she started dabbling, started caring a lot superficially about how she looked, was starting to notice that she was interacting with people that were not healthy, both guys and girls. And the parents were trying to address it. They kept saying, stop doing this, stop doing that, you're grounded. And yet it seemed as if The girl kept pushing them away. It didn't seem to work when they were just giving her a set of rules. And so finally the dad had went a completely different route in figuring this out. He said, everybody pack your bags. We're going on a mission trip to Africa. And he took his entire family and they went for a couple weeks and they served. They loved like Jesus. They put themselves out there. And they came back and the girl obviously was impacted by it had never seen anything like that, hadn't experienced faith like that, all the way to a point where she began investing, she kept the relationships that she had with people over there, she was working to fundraise for it, and the dad began to notice something about her. The dad noticed that amongst all those things, one thing stopped happening. She stopped interacting with those people, she stopped caring as much as she did about how she looked to the people around her or about what people thought about her. And so one day the dad went in and just said, you know, honey, I I just noticed that this thing that we've been addressing with you, this thing that we grounded you for, you're not doing it anymore. And he just said, can I ask why? And she said something that is so profound. She goes, I just realized that it didn't really matter anymore. See, that... That stuff isn't really valuable in light of what I know now. And it's the same thing with our faith. And part of the reason for our new series that we're going to be going through looking at the life of David. Can everybody say David with me? Many of you may know who David is. Um, There's no other character than Jesus Christ in the Bible that is talked about more than David. Did you guys know that in the Bible, David is mentioned 1,141 times. Only Jesus is mentioned more, about 200 more times than that. There are 181 chapters in the Bible that are dedicated to David, whether they're historically written about him, saying David did this and that, or actually written by David, like we read in Psalms, where he wrote, wrote them themselves. It was his personal journaling before the Lord. He was a shepherd. As we know, he was a warrior. He fought the Lord's battles. He was a king. He was a worshiper. And all of those things put together, he was just a child of God in all of those things. David's relationship with God was so radically different than how people related to God in his day and age. 
David showed people what it was like to actually relate to God. He showed them by worship. He showed them by personal devotion. He showed them by the way that he lived. He showed them by the way that he fought. He showed them by the way that he governed. He showed them by the way that he shepherded. And ultimately, he showed them by the way that he carried his personal life. Jesus is obviously the standard that we look at. That If you want to know how to, how to live a godly life or live a life that pleases God, you look at Jesus. But I love the picture of David's life because it's a picture of someone's life from when they're a teenager all the way to when they pass away when they're old. Of what it's like to walk with God. What it's like to struggle with God. You learn a lot about David from the way that he related to God. You see him in all kinds of different contexts as a teenager, as a prodigy, as a considered criminal, as a runaway, as a king, as a husband, as a father, um, all the way as a leader. You see all these different seasons and generations, and yet you learn about how someone can grow up in those things, which are the same things that are going to happen for all of us. We, we are going to find ourselves in all kinds of different seasons and different roles in our lives. And yet we're still going to relate and have a personal devotion and relationship to Jesus that is bigger than the season that we're in. And that's what's shown through this story of David. David shows us what it's like to be faithful to God and to be blessed by it. David shows us what it's like to not follow God and to suffer the consequences of it and yet have a humble heart and say, I am still pursuing the Lord and trusting his goodness through it. David shows us the full picture and gives us um, a well-rounded meaning of what a relationship with God really looks like. Amen? The other thing that we're looking at in this series, we're not just going to look at David, but we're going to look at this idea of religion. Can you say religion with me? And relationship. Can you say relationship? These two terms, maybe you've heard them before. This idea of religion, which actually is defined by Webster um, as a particular system of faith or worship. It isn't necessarily credited to one aspect of like just faith in Jesus, but religion in a sense. Maybe you consider yourself religious or you consider the family you live in religious or the nation you live in or the world that you live in as religious. And what I want to talk about in light of this is that there is a difference between religion and relationship. That's not to say that if someone says, yeah, I'm religious because I believe in Jesus, that, um, oh, they're two different. No, I, we understand what you mean. But what I'm saying is this. There is a difference between having a relationship with Jesus and considering yourself religious. David was someone who had a relationship with Jesus amongst a culture that was religious. And for us to read through the story, it could be easy for us in hindsight and look go, well, none of it, no one was really following the Lord except for David. He set the standard for it, yet it was still religious, as we'll look at. But I want us to look now at the scripture. If you're in 1 Samuel 13 with me, we're actually going to start before David is mentioned in the story, which I think is interesting because long before David comes into the picture, God is already working towards his life and has a plan for him. So we start with a man named Samuel who is a prophet of the day. And we're working with the current king of the day and his name was Saul. This is long before David is ever in the picture. And we find in this scripture in chapter 13... 
Saul has disobeyed God. And Samuel comes to correct him. And in the midst of correcting him, he says this. He says, in verse 13, You have done a foolish thing, Samuel said. He's talking to Saul. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you haven't kept the Lord's command. Years later, both Samuel and Saul would find themselves in a similar situation. If you're in your Bibles and you want to follow, I want you to go to chapter 15 now, which is just like a page or two away. This is a couple years down the road, a very similar situation where Saul has not obeyed the Lord. He was supposed to um, to get rid of all of the goods and the cattle and things of that, of the Amicalites whom they just beat in battle. And Saul didn't obey him. And he says, well, I sacrificed them to the Lord instead. In a way, he said, well, I'm worshiping God in my own way. And what Samuel says in that, if you look at verse 22, he says, Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than to sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. And then later down in verse 27, if you follow, it says, As Samuel turned to leave, it says that Saul caught a hold of the hem of his robe, and it tore. And Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today, and given it to one of your neighbors, to one who is better than you. Later in chapter 16, if you want to look at 16 verse 4 with me, I know we're running through a couple stories here, but they all relate. Now is the story of Samuel has been called to anoint the next king, who is David. This is where David finally comes into the story. So we have those two stories that had happened before. And now we find ourselves, if you look at verse 4, Samuel has now just gone um, to Jesse's family because God, or to David's family, my apologies, to anoint the king. Samuel doesn't know it's David yet. All God has said is, just anoint the one that I tell you to. And it says, Samuel did what the Lord said when he arrived at Bethlehem. That's where his family was. So the elders of the town trembled when they met him and they asked, do you come in peace? And Samuel said, yes, in peace I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse. Jesse is the dad. And his sons... And invited them to the sacrifice. Now when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab, the oldest son. And he said, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Can you say amen with me? Later on. It says that the sons continued to come before Samuel, and God says, I'm not anointing any of them. And then finally, Samuel says, do you have any other sons that I can anoint? And they said, well, we have one in the shepherd's field, and he comes in, and it's David. In fact, it's a son so unimportant to the family that the father didn't even think to invite him to the sacrifice. That's how unimportant he was to his own family. And he walks in, and God says, anoint him. And it says that from that point, that is the beginning of David's story. Can you say amen one more time with me? See, 
There are three stories that we looked at, but they're all related and they all speak to something that God is doing. Because David isn't just about what David is doing. David's story is about what God can do with faithful people. And that is you and me and the potential that sits before you today and your lives. See, in the first story, it's interesting because Saul is not obeying the Lord. And long before David's name is even mentioned, he says, The Lord has sought someone after his own heart. God is already seeking someone who truly is pursuing him from the heart. And then later on, you come into another story where Saul is doing the things he's doing, the sacrifices. He's going through the rituals. And what Samuel says, he says, do you really think that going through the motions is the thing that God really wants? He says he wants obedience from your heart. And that only gets brought to this apex and to this point in front of us. Hayden, thank you. It gets brought to this point in front of us where now Samuel, literally Samuel, who is the leader of the people, he's standing before and he says, that guy is impressive to Eliab, the oldest son, the alpha male. How many of you are the alpha male in your family? (laughs) One kid? Hmm, Maybe. The beta male, you know. And he says, surely this is the one. Surely this is the one that the Lord wants to anoint. And he says, and God finally has to spell it out to him that people look at outward appearances. People have a knack for looking at the outward things when they come to judging whether someone is doing well with the Lord or has a healthy relationship. See, we look at the outward appearances. It says, but God looks at the heart. And that's the reason why a no-name shepherd that everyone, including his own dad, would overlook was actually the one that God very much called and anointed and saw beforehand and sought him and said, that's the one. That's the one that's equipped. That's the one that's meant to lead this nation because of his heart, even though no one can see it. And You know what's interesting? God's the one who found him. Samuel didn't find him. If it was up to Samuel, he wouldn't have gone there. He would have anointed the oldest son. No one would have found him. But God found him. It's interesting to see that theme that God is looking for people after his own heart. That God cares more about obedience from your heart than the sacrifices and the rituals that you have. And that ultimately, God spells out that he looks at things differently than what we look at. Jesus focused on the same things as well. That's why Jesus was so radical in his day and age. Because amongst a place of religion and the Pharisees, Jesus would say things like this. He says, blessed are the pure in heart. He doesn't say, blessed are the pure in behavior. Or blessed are the pure in their rituals or in their church attendance or in their Bible verse memory. He says, blessed are the pure in heart. He would say even too, he says, you have heard it said that you shouldn't murder. He says, but did you know... That when you hate someone from your heart, you're equally as guilty of murder as you were if you actually murdered someone. Because in ritual, it says, well, I'm not murdering someone. But if you're harboring hate in your heart, are you truly obeying God from your heart? It's the same thing about adultery that Jesus would say. He says, you may not actually commit the act of adultery, but if you're lusting after people in your heart, you're committing that same sin. What is God spelling out in that? 
He says, I'm looking at something far greater than just the outward behaviors and rituals and religious things that you can do. I am looking at your heart and I am looking at the way that you relate to God because that is where a relationship with God thrives. A relationship with God does not rest in religiosity. That's a real word too. It rests in a relationship with God. I don't know about you guys, but have you guys ever heard the term godless? Yes, no. I mean, you've heard God, so you could probably guess what godless means. It means without God. So when you think about, have you ever thought about like a godless, like what is, what does that mean? What does that actually look like? What does a wicked culture look like? What does like a God forsaken place look like? Is that Chuck E. Cheese? Is that like a place where like surely God is not in the, is it your school? You know, because you're like, surely the Lord is not blessing this place in front of us. But have you guys ever thought about that for a minute? Have you ever thought about what a godless place actually looks like? A place without God? Because in the Bible, at the time of David, did you know that the land of Israel was described as godless and wicked and God forsaking? Now I don't know about you. I have a question. I have a lot of questions. And one of them is this. This is Israel. This is the place... Where God has done the most work, this is the place that received God's word. Did you know that in their culture, in Jewish culture at that time, you began learning and studying the Bible at age five? Most people memorized the first five books of the Bible when they were finished with their education. Pretty religious culture, as well as following all of the laws um, and things that were given through Moses when he led the Israelites out of Egypt. They, I, we don't hold a candle to any of the things that they do. I can barely memorize two Bible verses in a row. And yet they can memorize entire books in their youth. And yet, here's the funny thing about it. Have you guys thought about this for a minute? Think about it. This is the godless culture. So let me ask you. If they're doing all of those things, if it's so embedded in their culture to memorize the word, to follow all these laws, to do all these sacrifices, why are they not considered God-filled? It's because of this. Religion isn't relationship with God. One of my friends, I got lunch with him a couple years ago. Um, His name's Tristan. Everybody say Tristan. His nickname was Biebs because he looked like Justin Bieber. But he certainly didn't sing like him. So Tristan and I got lunch. He, uh, He went to a Christian college. Now, the thing about his college is it was Christian, um, within the staff, but in terms of attending the school, you didn't have to be a Christian. You would sign like a code of conduct and things like saying, I'm going to do this and this. Part of the reason for that was because the school wanted to be an outreach to the community, which is totally normal, totally good. And I was sitting with him, and this is him as a junior when I sat with him. And I'm talking to him. This is a kid who was raised and has a relationship with Jesus. And he found himself in this situation where he was so frustrated because he was looking at his campus, and he's looking at his school, and he says... I get so frustrated because this is a Christian school. And he says, 
But I look at the behavior of the people around me. I look at the love of the people around me. I look at the way they treat one another. I see they go to chapel. I see that they get good on their assignments when it comes to the Bible. But I don't see it in their behavior. And he's getting frustrated about it. But you know what's funny about that? It's the same thing. Just because the title says Christian doesn't mean it's necessarily God-filled. Amen? See, you can put all the labels and say that this is a Christian place. You can say this is a Christian school. But God actually resides in the heart of His people. God doesn't reside in the titles of the buildings or the organizations. God resides in the heart of His people. The fact of the matter is, even though in that day they were religious, there was corruption, there was violence, there was hate, there was discord, and ultimately people were just self-seeking. God became a means for people to get what they wanted, which is interesting because Jesus would go as far as to say, by their fruit you will recognize them. Jesus doesn't say, by their titles you will recognize them. Jesus says, by their fruit of their lives, you'll be able to recognize where God is working and where God isn't working. I think that's why Jesus took religion head on himself. Jesus had a lot to say to the religious leaders of the day because he says, by the way that you are leading, you are hindering God working in this place because you have the title of someone who is leading towards the Lord, yet your behavior is in conflict with it. You're being religious but you don't have an actual relationship with God. Comes back to this religion versus relationship. I think for me personally, I see it a lot in our day and age too as well. I'm religious in a lot of ways, in ways that God wants to exterminate and turn into genuine relationship in my own heart. Did you know that in our day and age, that in America... We have the most registered Christians. So if someone were to be given a vote and say, what is your background? Some people would say Christian. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean they're Christian. They can just say that because their parents are Christian. They just say, well, that's my background. I, went to a, I guess I went to a Christian school. So I want you to think about this for a minute. We have the most registered Christians in the world. But did you know we're also the number one country that people send missionaries to? We're the number one country that people look at and say... By what's going on, we need to send people to bring Jesus to them. You want to know why that is? Because we're very good at being religious, but we're not very good at relationship. What is your relationship with God like? Not what is your religion with God like, but your relationship with Him. You know, it's interesting in church history, it actually talks about this a lot, because if you remember right after Jesus ascended to heaven and the early church was born, It was met with a lot of persecution by the Roman Empire. Christians were being executed um, in brutal ways, and yet Christianity only continued to grow. People were had their backs to the wall when it came to their families and their things and their possessions because they were being persecuted, and yet the Holy Spirit only moved even more in their lives and they grew only more confident and more people were being saved. Stories of soldiers who were called to execute Christians repenting and converting because they saw the genuine relationship in the very people they were executing. And over a hundred year period, it only continued to grow. But you know what's interesting? Hundreds of years later, there was a, there was a Roman leader 
And he liked Christianity because he thought there's some real personal gain to this. There's political gain. So he made it the national religion of the Roman Empire. What a success story. This religion that was completely barred and executed for it has now become the national religion. You want to know what happened to Christianity after that? It began to dwindle. The miraculous things began to happen less. Why was that? Well, Christianity became something more of a political stance than it did more of a relationship with God. Christianity became more of something that you used to gain something for your life rather than a personal relationship with God that you would sacrifice yourself at any cause. See the difference between relationship and religion? See, we live in a culture that has no problem following Jesus as long as it doesn't cost you anything or doesn't affect how you look to the people around you. But the minute that it does cost you something is the minute that you make it less of a priority. Jesus would refer to religion like that as a whitewashed tomb. He says, you wash the outside, but inside you're full of death. He says, because why? Because religion only addresses the outside things of your life. But God really cares about the inside things. In fact, Jesus would say, he'd call them hypocrites. And he says, if you address your heart, he says, if you clean the inside of yourself, he said, the outside would take care of itself because the outside comes from the inside, not the other way around. A relationship with God changes you from the inside out, not the outside in. So would you say you're religious? Because that was the day and age that they found themselves in. And then God seeks out a man named David. David comes into the picture. And what we'll see from his life in this series is that he was so different than the people of his day. Simply because of his just childlike love for the Lord. He really was. When you hear terms like light of the world or salt of the earth. I would just say, sometimes I get really careful with that because it's like, am I really light of the world by the way I act sometimes? Because sometimes I act definitely not like the light of the world. But David was. When you talk about someone who just pierced a religious society and people looked at him and said, that is someone different. And there is something different. You want to know what that difference was? It's simply his relationship and confidence in God that he invested in. What about you? What's your relationship like with God? And what do you want for your life that's in front of you? See, I don't know about you, but I get like my friend Tristan too when I look at the world around me. Sometimes I get frustrated when I look at it and I say, I want to see God work in the places that it seems like he should. God can do so much with that situation. Maybe you're someone that looks at your family and says, you know what? I get frustrated because I want to see God work in my family. I want to see God work in my brother's life. I want to see God work in my friend's life. And it gets you up in the morning because you know that God can do a mighty work in that. What if in our religious culture, you were someone that loved Jesus so radically that you really didn't care at all what anyone thought about you? Or how it looked to anyone. I don't care how I look. I don't care what you think. All I care about is what the Lord thinks about me in my heart. What if you fought for God to work in the world around you and loved people so much that they could experience the love of Jesus in your life? 
What if you were like, you know what? I want that kid to experience Jesus so much in his life. I don't care what it looks like when I associate with him. Amen? Amen? What if you had such a strong personal pursuit of God that when your world fell apart, you found refuge in him and you didn't have to say, well, I need all these people around me to make me feel better because I have the Lord who's the only person that can truly make me feel confident and reassured and satisfied and content in this life. What if that was you? That can be you because we all have a decision of how we want to relate to Jesus. You see, the thing through David's story that you see is that everything hinged on his relationship to God. When he was considered a criminal and a runaway and King Saul was hunting him down like a dog, he found refuge in the Lord. And that not only gave him the strength to get up and lead, but it also gave him the strength to love and to forgive Saul when he had the chance to take his life and go eye for an eye on him. God can help you in the worst of circumstances. Vice versa... When David was king and David had everything in his possession, when he compromised on his relationship with the Lord and committed adultery, everything fell apart for him. So what do you see? A relationship with God is better in the worst circumstances than no relationship in the best. Amen? Everything hinges on your relationship with God when you have nothing and when you have everything. That's why Paul says in Philippians 4, I know the secret to live content in any circumstance, whether well-fed or poor, whether much or little. He says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. It's because you will be in all of those situations in your life. And there's only one person that you can find strength in, and that is Jesus Christ. Amen? So the question I have for you guys this morning, Deb, if you want to come up. We're going to close in a song. Worship. I have a question for you guys this morning because we all face these different decisions. We all face similar frustrations. But you know what? We also face those same frustrations in ourselves. Rhetorical question. How many times have you looked at your own life and said, that isn't in line with what I say I am? What if what you say doesn't match your behavior? So in a way, you're being religious. I'm the worst at being religious. And so are we. And those are all things we have to present towards the Lord in our lives. Or maybe you see stuff around you and you see, that's just religious. That's not really God working. So my question for you this morning then, it's, it's simple because you have a decision that you get to make with your life. Do you want to be religious? Because maybe you just decide, you know what? I just want to go to church. I just want to go through the motions. When they say Jesus and amen, I'll say yeah. Yep. And I'll do it well. I'll, I'll remember a couple Bible verses and I'll remember them when I feel bad. And, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll keep going, but it's more just to keep appearances. If you want to be religious, that's okay. But you're going to miss out on something so much greater. And you're going to miss out on what God actually intended for us was a relationship. See, Jesus didn't die on a cross so you could be religious. Jesus died on a cross so you could have a relationship with him. Maybe you're someone now in this room that's been coming to church. You've been coming your whole life and you're like, you know what? I've been religious. I've just been coming. I've just been listening. I thought it was about the actions, but I didn't know it was about the heart. God came to save our hearts, not our behaviors. And when our hearts are in the right place, our behaviors will follow. And so I just want us to close our Bibles and close our eyes right where we're at this morning. couple different ways we're going to respond. Maybe you're here this morning 
and you've never said yes to Jesus in your life, maybe your parents take you here and that's totally cool. We're really glad you're here. Really thankful you're here. I think God has brought you here. And you look at all the religious things and you go, I can't have a, I can't be, I can't be a Christian because I'm not doing all of these things. Jesus didn't save you to do a bunch of stuff. Jesus saved you so he could have your heart. That's why David would write, search me, O God, and know my heart, not know my behaviors. He says, know me and come into my heart because I want you to come to that place. God, I don't want you to stop with the outward appearances. I want you to come into the deep places of my heart. So maybe you're here and you want to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior for the first time. And with eyes closed, I want you just with right now, I just want you to say yes to Jesus. Because Jesus is already saying yes to you. You know what's fascinating about this story? It says that the Lord sought him out. He didn't have to seek out God, but God was seeking the kind of person that had the heart that was seeking him. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. What does that mean? You will find God when you seek him with all your heart. You won't find God if you seek him half-heartedly. I know for myself, I can be pretty disingenuous with God and say, God, I really want to see you work in my life, but I'm not really up up to a line. I'll, I'll seek you with this, but not with this. And with that thinking, you won't be able to find God. But when you seek him with all of your heart, that's why David was one among an entire nation because nobody sought him with all their hearts. So maybe you're here this morning too and you're someone who's cared more about religion, but you realize it's about pursuing God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength as Jesus said. And you want to say, Lord, I repent. I'm sorry that I made this religious, that I made this about behaviors, that this wasn't about a personal relationship with you where I gave everything that I had and I learned to give everything that I have. And if that's you, Jesus wants to be with you in that and wants to be in personal relationship with you. Jesus wants to give himself wholeheartedly in the same way that you do. So, Lord, we come before you this morning, and Lord, first, we thank you that this isn't just a religious thing that we do. God, we thank you that it's not just about going through the motions, that it's not just about rituals, it's not just about behaviors and having the right information and about memorizing the Bible verses or just attending church, because, Lord, we'll never be good enough. We'll never have enough ritual, Lord, to be able to follow you wholeheartedly. But, Lord, it's only by your grace, and it's only by your mercy, and it's only by your forgiveness, God. That we can be in perfect relationship. That we can be made alive when we were dead and have eternal life where we didn't have it before. So God, we praise you this morning. And God, we praise you with everything in our lives. And we give you the one thing that really matters most, God. And it's our heart. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said...